Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are so glad that you're here on this Easter Sunday morning, 2011. And if you have your Bibles, please open them up and turn in them in the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 28 in the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn in it to page 25 in the back part, and you would find yourself at Matthew chapter 28. You know, Easter Sunday symbolizes and celebrates the greatest event in human history that Christ is risen. And as we look at the events of Easter this morning, I want to talk about the resurrection, an angel, and us. The resurrection, an angel, and us. And if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 28, I want to read the first nine verses and would invite you to follow along as I read this account. It says in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold, I have told you. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now, there's so much here in, in these nine verses that we could spend some weeks and not mine all the gems of truth from those verses. But what I want us to do today is to focus on four commands that are given by the angel. They are located in verses 6 and 7. And what we're going to see is that there are two pairs of commands here. The first pair is to come and see, and the second pair is to go and tell. Now, I believe that those are directives that are given to two groups of people. Two groups of people in Jesus' day and two groups of people in our day. And every one of us, no matter what our situation may be, is in one group or the other. The directive to come and see, I believe, is aimed at those who do not believe in Jesus' resurrection. 
It may be people who are simply uninformed about Jesus' resurrection, all the way in the spectrum to those who are skeptics of Jesus' resurrection. But the angel wants to say to those who don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, come and see. And then, secondly, to those who do believe in Jesus' resurrection, we have the directive to go and tell. Now, what is really interesting is that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary started out in the first group, and then they end up in the second group. And our hope is that if you have come here today and you're in the first group, those who do not really believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that you will end up in the second group by the time our time is through today. Now, if we're going to set the context for the story, it actually begins on Friday afternoon when Jesus was being crucified. Uh, Let your eyes go to the previous chapter in verses 27 or rather, uh, chapter 27, verses 59 to 61. And here's what we see was happening on Friday afternoon. Jesus was crucified and he died, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, And he went away, and then notice verse 61, and Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Interesting context here. Do you see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had been watching all of these events unfold? They had watched Jesus go up on the cross. They had watched Jesus bleed on the cross. They had watched Jesus suffocate on the cross because that's really what the process of crucifixion was all about. They had watched him die. They watched Joseph take the the body and wrap it up and put it in this tomb, and they were there watching the whole scenario unfold. That was all Friday afternoon. When we come to Matthew 28, we've now come to Sunday morning. In fact, it was very, very early on Sunday morning. It was still dark. And you notice it says in in verse 1, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, they came, the two Marys, to look at the grave. Now, it's important to understand that they did not expect Jesus to be resurrected. They thought that Jesus was dead. I mean, they'd seen the whole thing happen. They saw him die. They saw him put into the tomb. And they were sitting there watching as the grave was closed by the great stone. Now, we learn from the parallel Gospels of Mark and Luke that they came that morning to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. Now, that is something that you would do for a dead person. It's it's very similar to our practice of bringing flowers to a funeral. And what you would do is you would show up and you would anoint the body, the dead body, with spices. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that they started out on their way in the dark. It was totally dark. It was sort of an eerie time. And Mark tells us that they were having a conversation on the way to the tomb, and their concern was, who is going to roll away the stone from the entrance? I mean, they're thinking about, we want to 
anoint his body with these spices, but who's going to roll the stone away so he can get to the body? You know what is really interesting is that most of the world today will acknowledge that Jesus lived and died. Almost everyone acknowledges that. But the resurrection is what makes the difference. It's what divides people into two groups. It's the pivot point of everything. Now, look at chapter 28, verses 2 to 4. Chronologically, those events happened during the night. You'll notice in verse 2 it says, a severe earthquake had occurred. It had happened earlier. And we learn from the Gospel of Mark that when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary arrived, the stone had already been rolled back. And so they entered into the tomb that they had witnessed his body being laid into, and while they enter the tomb, they encounter an angel. And our story picks up in verse 5, and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Jesus has been resurrected. He's not here, just as he told you. And although Jesus had predicted it to the disciples multiple times, they didn't believe it. They just couldn't process it. It was outside of their personal box of possibilities. And so we see all the disciples at this point were discouraged. They were defeated. They weren't expecting the resurrection at all. And you notice he says to them in verse 6, come and see. And I believe there are lessons to be found in the tomb for those who do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to look at several of them. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, there are some lessons that we can find in the tomb. Here's the first one, the love of Jesus for us, the love of Jesus for us. Probably the most familiar verse in America to people is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his unique son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The tomb tells us of the love of Jesus for us. Keep your finger in Matthew 28. I want you to turn quite a number of books to the right in your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. You come to Galatians, then you have Ephesians, then you have Philippians. And it just tells us the story of how the creator God, the the God who created the universe, decides to come to this planet. And in Philippians 2, verse 6, it says, speaking of Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to be held onto. But what he decides to do, this is how much he loved you, is he emptied himself. Basically, it means to set aside his prerogatives as God. And he, verse 7, took the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Now, this is just an amazing statement of love. He 
God became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the most wretched death that you could ever experience. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Isn't that just an unbelievable love story? That the God who created this world said, I'm going to come down to the planet and become a human being, and I'm going to come down to die. You see how the tomb, when you look at the tomb, it points very clearly to the love of Jesus for us. He loved you. That's why he did it. Now, there's a second lesson I think that we can see when it says, come and see the tomb. And that second lesson that we learn in the tomb is the ugliness of our sin. The ugliness of our sin. See, the the, the truth is that it was my failures, our failures, our shortcomings, our violations of God's law that led to the fact that God had to come down here and die. I love the way it's summarized in Isaiah 53, 5. And I just want you to look at that verse. It's on the screen there. I want you to think about what it says. This is the whole idea. He, God, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That means all the wrong things that we have done. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. See, the picture is that I had these transgressions, there were these iniquities, these things that I had done wrong, and the punishment that goes with that. And what God did is he said, all of that that was on me, he was going to put on Jesus. It was upon him. So it can say, by his wounds, we are healed. It was the ugliness of our sin that led to his death. And then, secondly, in Romans 6.23, it tells us regarding the ugliness of our sin that the wages of sin is death. A wage is what you earned. And our sin and all of those transgressions and those iniquities earned us death. And physical death is our future destiny. Everybody that is here, anybody who would be listening to my voice, that is our future destiny, physical death. We have two grandsons. We are anticipating the soon birth of our first granddaughter. And there's just something about that little baby when they are born. But you know what's really interesting about a little baby? The day that they are born, the day of their birth, they have launched the countdown to their death. Never sure how long that countdown may be. Could be short, it could be longer. But the moment that you were born, you launched the countdown to your death. My favorite quote of all time is a quote by Canadian scientist G.B. Hardy. It's on my Facebook page as my favorite quote. 
And I just love this because it, it takes all of life and sort of gets it down to the bottom line, and I'm, I'm that kind of a guy. And G.B. Hardy said this, I only have two questions. When you have everything that's going on in this world, the first question is, did anybody conquer death? And the second question is, did he make a way for me to do it too? Isn't that really the whole bottom line? When you're born, you're launching the countdown to your death. Isn't the most important first question is, did anybody conquer this thing that I'm destined to experience? And then, did he make a way for me to do it too? Do you have answers to those questions in your life? Do you have confidence of what about what awaits you on the other side of the door of death? Do you have confidence that you're going to be able to conquer death? As we come and see the tomb, I think there's a third lesson for us to see, and that is the hope of new life. See, the whole idea is that since he arose from the dead, so can we. And since he paid the price for my sin and for your sin, that we can be forgiven. His death points to the fact that we have an opportunity for a future and a hope. You know, when you think of the whole crucifixion scene, uh, some of the details that are often left out as we, we look at it are the details of the people that were crucified besides either side of Jesus. You know, most scholars say they were insurrectionists. Sometimes we say, well, they're a common thief. They were, they were more than that. They were people who were involved in murder and mayhem against the Roman Empire. And, and believe you me, the Jews pushed for the worst type of person to be crucified on either side of Jesus because they were making a public commentary about what they thought of Jesus. We have a word today for an insurrectionist, and that is the word a terrorist. That's who got crucified beside Jesus, two terrorists. And what is really interesting is we learn from the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 23 that one of them appealed to Jesus. He realized, I'm facing that which I was always destined to face. And he appealed to Jesus, and Jesus said to that one, today you will be in paradise with me. See, the idea is that hope and life change are available to all who seek it. And not just for people who lived a long time ago some terrorist who was crucified besides Jesus. It's true today. A guy by the name of Kenny McClinton was for many years one of the leading terrorists in Northern Ireland. Kenny McClinton was known for violence and murder and mayhem and bombings that he executed and that he helped plan and train people to do. Kenny McClinton found himself eventually arrested and when he was arrested, he had total contempt for the British court system. So much contempt that when he was called before the court, he would often only appear in his underwear, just making it a statement. In fact, one time, 
He came into court totally naked. Just Kenny McClinton's way of saying to the British court system, you know, up yours. I don't care who you guys are. In fact, he became known as the maniac McClinton. Eventually, Kenny McClinton got two life sentences for murder. And at one point, he made this statement. He says, I was involved in the loosest kind of life imaginable, yet I was never really satisfied. I never found any lasting peace. I always felt there was something missing in my life. Because of the kind of guy he was, often when he was in prison, he found himself in solitary confinement. He was just that kind of a rough, tough guy. One time, when he was only wearing a towel, he took on 15 guards himself. Found himself in solitary confinement again. But when he was in solitary confinement, there was one other thing there with him, and that was a Bible. And Kenny McClinton began to read through the Bible, and as he was reading it, he was wrestling. He was wrestling with his own sin and his own guilt and his own shame. And as he was reading that Bible, he saw the accounts of the Lord Jesus who suffered and died and rose again. And as he was reading that, he was beginning to have the thought, I wonder if God could give me a new start. And then the day came when he fell on his knees. It was in cell number nine, H block six. And Kenny McClinton asked the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ to change his life. And that's what God did. Eventually, he only served 16 years in prison. He was such a changed person. He was released. Eventually, Kenny McClinton became an ordained pastor. And if you would like to read about his ministry today, you can go to Ulster Christians, U-L-S-T-E-R, Christians.org, and you will read about the changed life of Kenny McClinton. Now, if God can change the life of a terrorist, be it a terrorist in Jesus' time or a terrorist in our generation, he can change yours. He can change your life. Jesus himself said this. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You're just burdened down by the guilt that you feel. And he says, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus can remove the uncertainty from your life. He can remove the fear from your life. He can re remove the confusion and the guilt and replace it with forgiveness and a changed life. Is there any reason why you wouldn't come to Jesus Christ today and turn to him today? Is there anything holding you back? Come and see, is what the angel said. The first group 
were those who did not believe in Jesus' resurrection, and the directive was, come and see. And the Marys came, and they saw, and they believed, and they shifted into that second group, those who believe in Jesus' resurrection. And for those who believe in Jesus' resurrection, which represents many of us, God has a directive for us. God has an assignment for us. And that assignment is, go and tell. We see that back in Matthew 28, verses 7 and 8. Go and tell. You know, when you come to Christ and you come and see who he is in the He died for you and he loved you and he's ready to change your life. When we do that, and many of you can think back to when you experienced that in your life, there's this incredible surge of joy that comes. There's this relief. But what is really interesting to me is we have that surge of joy, but too often we tend to settle down. We lose contact with that joy and we settle down into certain kinds of tendencies. Sometimes the tendency can be to just sort of Sit back and savor the blessing. I have forgiveness. I have hope beyond death. I'm glad that I know God. Somewhat of a just you and me, God, mentality. Or we can develop this mentality that, you know, I have this spiritual life and I've come to embrace who Christ is and he's changed my life, but it's a very private, personal thing. I just, I'd like to keep, I just like to keep the truth to myself. Or sometimes uh, we, we can begin to inadvertently do this. We begin to develop sort of this holy circle, holy huddle mentality where we just say, I want to be comfortable. I, I feel more comfortable isolating myself from non-Christians, those who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. And so what I really want to do, if I could have my way, I'd love to live in a neighborhood with Christians. And I I want my kids to go to a Christian school or maybe to be homeschooled, and and I want a job where I'm working with Christians. And inadvertently, we get this mindset going where we're saying, you know, I'm in, uh, and my family may be in, and I want to keep myself and my family protected so I just, I'm in the holy little huddle. I'm, I'm isolated. Let me ask you a question. What if those who told you about Christ had done the same thing with their attitude? I'll just keep this to myself. I'll sort of separate myself over here. The angel says we are to go and tell. Look, look down in, in Matthew 28 and verse 18 where Jesus came to the disciples and he spoke to them and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, to those of us who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, God says, go and tell. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You see, 
Jesus is officially residing up in heaven right now, and we are his representatives down on the planet. We're his ambassadors. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth. We are his touch for people. That's why at Wildwood, we've been talking about for a number of years how we want to pass it on. We want to light the way for the next generation. We're going and we're telling. We're communicating. That's why our mission statement is to shine as light in our homes and our community and the world. We want people to see the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, why is it that we often fail to go and tell? And I think the truth is, is we have this sense of trepidation. We have this sense of fear, this sense of uncertainty. Well, if I do that, I don't know what people might think. I don't know what kind of reaction I might get. Look back with me again at verse 20 of Matthew 28. Notice what Jesus says in the latter part. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's not asking us to go out there by ourselves and go and tell. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. In fact, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 28, when the angel tells the Marys, go and tell. And then notice what it says in the middle of the verse, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Whatever the situation is, he's gone ahead. When he tells us to go and tell, he's gone ahead of us. Whatever the situation may be that I face or you face, he is gone ahead. And his resurrection power is available to me and to you to enable us, to empower us, to embolden us. Why would we ever shrink back from go and tell? See, he has promised to be with us, to empower us, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us. I love what the Bible says when it says this, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. When I tell you to go and tell, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're not out there by ourselves. The resurrected Lord is with us. For those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, he says, go and tell. And what I want to do is I want to help us to think practically about that for a few moments. I want to share with you four practical steps to help us more effectively go and tell those who are without a relationship with Jesus. And these are very practical things. As, as you come out of this Easter season, it can help rejuvenate your thinking. These are four things we can do. Number one, pray for them. Pray for the people that you know. They may be people at work, people in your neighborhood, maybe other people who are friends. And pray for them. They do not know Jesus as Savior, and they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So easy to slide out of doing that for people, to pray that God would be at work in their heart and drawing him, drawing them to him. You know, Jesus arose on the third day, so we're going to identify three, just identify three people that you know coming out of this Easter season and pray for them. 
pray that God would be at work in their heart. Second way, practically, to more effectively go and tell is to invite them. Invite them. Invite them into your social circle. Don't just get so isolated that they don't have interaction with you. Include them in your activities. If there's certain activities that you like to do, sports, other activities, include people that don't know Jesus as Savior. Maybe you invite them to a meal at your home or invite them to go out to a meal with you, or maybe you have several Christian families together for a cookout, and you invite one or two other families that may not know the Lord. Because the idea is we want to rub shoulders with them. We want them to see and to sense the reality of Christ in lives. Third practical way that we can go and tell is to serve them. It doesn't have to be real complicated. Look for ways to help meet their needs. Maybe there's a task that, you're, that they're trying to get done, and you can say, hey, I'd love to lend you a hand with that. Remember, we are Christ's hands and feet. Maybe at a difficult time, it means we provide them with a meal. Serve them in some way. And then, fourth, fourth practical way that we can go and tell is simply to tell them. <laughs> tell them. Just tell them that Jesus is alive. That, that Jesus desires to invade your life and empower your life. That Jesus offers you hope. If you ever have any shame over unwise choices, Jesus is there to help. If you're lonely or you have a fear of the future, Jesus offers hope. Jesus wants to change your life and to change your relationships. We just say to them, come and see. Come awake.